Have you ever wondered what happened to legendary Chuck Norris? He's in his 80s and still is kicking butt and working out and staying active. What's even more shocking is he's stronger, can work out longer, and even has plenty of energy left over for his grandkids. He did this by just making one change. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife even started doing this one thing too, and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger, her body looks leaner, and she has energy all day. Chuck's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their health. Go to mymorningkick.com forward slash sog and watch chuck's video right now again that's m y m o r n i n g k i c k dot com forward slash sog save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or seven up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Good morning. Welcome to SOGCast number 19. Today we're joined by a fellow SOG veteran. We've been friends for over 52 years and uh, we've had different stories from SOG, but this one is, like all the others, truly unique in nature and uh, from time on the ground. We want to thank Jocko Willing Productions for making this production possible today, and we just uh, thank uh, him and Echo Charles and our staff for for getting this online and getting our stories out to the rest of the country. Today, we're joined by Doug Godshaw. Doug, welcome to the show. Good morning, Tilt. How are you? Good morning. Good. And... uh, we first met when you came back from Mylock. At some point, you came down to Fubai, I believe. And I remember we have a picture of you and me at the Camp Bigel launch site with Tony Harrell yes. many months later. But um, you had uh, your, your stories are so unique. I'd like to start off, if you don't mind, with uh, because you were one of our unique survivors from August 23rd, the day the uh, sapper attack was on FOB4 in Da Nang, and uh, we lost our 16 Green Berets that day which is still the total worst uh, tragic loss for Special Forces in our, in our 60 year history. But you were there for that? And, yes, sir. Uh, so at the time, just to bring our readers up to speed, in August the 22nd, they had a promotion board. They also had a um, the monthly meeting of the all the different- The Commander's time. Conference was on August 22nd. Right. And uh, our Commander at Mylock was there, and then I stayed over. The command, the uh, so-called promotion board, was to be the 23rd of August. Right, and so the commander. We at that time we had six FOBs, so each commander was there. Correct. And then Clyde uh, Sincere was representing FOB three, which was at Mylock at that time. Correct. And so you come down for the promotion board, and you had a couple drinks that night. <laughs> Yes, I uh, joined up with uh, my friend John Peters and my friend Bill Brick. Bill and I had come to uh, Vietnam together from training group. Uh, we had a really interesting short tour of training group, as you know. Indeed. And uh, Bill was stationed at FOB4, so he had a hooch. So John and I stayed in the hooch. And John and I took the advantage for the first time of probably a, of having a cocktail in, in, in Vietnam. And we went to the uh, club and had a couple of drinks. 
<laughs> so after a couple of drinks, then um, at some point you and John retreated back to your hooch. Correct. And the weapons, your weapons have been secured like John's was secured? We were very safe. We were doing everything correctly. We, we each had a forty-five, uh, and we locked it up in Bill Brick's uh, locker with a lock, with Bill Brick's lock, so we were completely uh, SOP with uh, safety of, of weapons uh, since we knew we were going to have a drink, and uh, so there we were. <laughs> All right, so then... I think, do you remember, what's your time frame for when you were really awakened by explosives? It's something like 1.30 or 2 in the morning. People differ on it, uh, but it, it certainly was O-Dark 30. Indeed. And um, uh, Bill Brick was stationed there, so he grabbed his web gear and his piece, and he took off for the perimeter where he had a post. And John Peters and I were sitting there without a weapon because we'd locked up our forty fives in, in the... Uh, in a footlocker. I looked outside and for the first time I saw a bad guy in, in uh, uh, <clears throat> not with men, very, very little clothes on, with a headband on, with a satchel of explosives, and they were throwing the explosives around. Uh, we know now that most of the guys who passed that night died very early. They either died in the first round of throwing the satchels or the first round of going into the hooches. So I was very lucky because they didn't come into my hooch, and uh, I watched them go by, and then we had to decide what what the next plan of action was going to be. So I met up with a young blonde lieutenant whose name I cannot recall, and he and I, and later Spider Parks, uh, went around. We we managed to find some weapons. Could have been no neck, Lieutenant uh, Lieutenant Dahl? It could have been. Um, very competent, very nice. Uh, we were very careful. We'd go to Hooch's, go around the corner, take a peek, look, see what we had. We had some weapons by that and helped, uh, helped suppress um, um, the, uh, the sappers and, and the other people that came in there. Wow. And um, it was uh, my first time that I ever get shot at. Welcome to the war, huh? Correct. My God. So where'd you wind up? Somewhere as like one of the static positions? After you, so you were like reconning? We were, uh, we were doing with the lieutenant and later with Spider. Spider says, hey, you got to talk more about what you did, Doug, because I was with you and, and we, you know, we're just suppressing the enemy. And then uh, uh, the last, uh, last piece, uh, and remember that it wasn't just 16 KIAs. There was an additional 50 Purple Hearts. We had 66 SF guys or, or people at that camp wounded or killed. I, mean, oh, I was, forgot that never. It was a, Is that right? Yeah, it was terrible. And, oh, yeah. And, and we don't want to forget our indige. Cause no. Because the, the claim is that the bad guys came in and put a machine gun in the indige barracks. We don't know how many indige were killed. I mean, it, it was bloody. So uh, as, as, as dawn broke, uh, the last two sappers uh, were in the shitter. <laughs> and uh, uh, that they they left for heaven after being in the shooter for a while. So that, uh, that those were the last two guys. Um, after that, uh, I, I'm a little unclear. I know I'm back on a helicopter to uh, Mylock. I knew Bill Brick had been killed, I, I, and I think he was killed pretty quickly right after the the sappers came in. I think right. I think he took a burst pretty early. And as you know, we've been. Uh, Pretty close to Steve over these years, his brother. Yeah, and that's been one of the 
uh, unique aspects of our relationship with the right, family. Right, right. We met Steve, what, now 15 years ago, maybe? It's 20? been a while. He's been a couple of SOAs. You and I visited his house. He's, he's joined your chapter for many meetings in Southern right. California. And uh, one of the, we're sitting here at uh, the third group at McVie SAG Memorial Week, and Kathy and I went to the USASAC Memorial and took a picture of Bill Brick's name, oh, yeah. some other pictures, and sent it on to Steve. Absolutely. All 16 names are there. Yes, they are. 16, then right after that, Stan Seating. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I was out here for um, for another event earlier this year and went down there. Sometimes you just stop at that wall and you see these names. Yeah, right. There's over 1,000 names there. Oh, yeah. It's that many. Yeah. So, and, starting uh, with Korea. Sure. And then we talk about our guys, and you just start reading the name. We forget. Well, you and I don't forget, but I right. mean... The, the deadly toll of people that we lost Yep. during that secret war, which is the eight-year secret war. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you brushed over this quickly, but your unique way of getting into SF, if you could go back to talk a little bit about that, how after you went through basic AIT, right. you're a special forces training group, Correct. and at some point they come out and say, hey, you guys wearing glasses, you, you don't qualify, and they took you out of the training, and where'd you go from there? Because it, <laughs> it's, this it's, is one of these unique special forces stories. Well, the, the, I read an article <laughs> a couple years ago that I really liked, and it said, you know, special forces guys, when we started out in the 60s, were unusual. We weren't like rangers. We weren't like seals. We were smart. And uh, I know that Jocko is going to just absolutely come over the top. But we thought outside the box, and they said, we had different guys in there. And they talked about it. We have guys with glasses. Rangers and seals don't have any guys with glasses. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, Bill Brick and I and Mike Morehouse were all at training group. We had started training group in those brand-new barracks, as we talked about. Right. It was my second time at Bragg. I'd done basic here. And uh, a medic from the dispensary calls me down and says, uh, Private, uh, you have glasses. I says, yes, sir. Uh, I, I said something else, but um, uh, I've had glasses since fourth grade. He says, well, how could you, you know, run missions behind enemy lines if you have glasses? I said, I have a spare, and I'm not that damn blind. Uh, anyway, we were thrown out for having glasses. In today's special forces, they'll, they'll, they'll operate you on, on your eyes to improve your vision. Really? Yeah. I yeah. want to sign up. I could use some yeah, help. Yeah, exactly. No, that, I read that about 15 years ago. If you qualify and you make it through the selection process, and uh, they'll do an operation on your eyes. Oh, anyway, no. so we, we still all wanted to go to Vietnam. We, we went uh, through Oakland, Bill Brick and Mike Morehouse and I, and uh, wound up in Benoit, and we're sitting there in that stifling heat, and a first lieutenant, Green Beret, comes up and talks to us and says, do you guys still want to be in special forces? We said, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we got uh, orders to go to Natrang, to headquarters of the 5th Group, and went some something called the COC course, Command Orientation Course. Only the Army could call it the COC course. Indeed, is, that, is that what the title was yeah. in 68? Yeah, COC. Yeah, okay. And it yeah. was a three-week course, <laughs> and most of the guys went to SOG. Uh, Bill Badger, an infamous measure, uh, member of RT Louisiana. Oh, and Dave Badger. Uh, Dave Badger, yeah. an, infamous, an infamous person. Uh, uh-huh. But, uh, and, and, and other people, and we went to SOG. So I went to Fubai first, had a cup of coffee with a hatchet force there, and then went to Mylock. So I came in country July 10, and uh, I'm in the Trang like July 12, 13, 14, 15. Yeah. Three weeks, so uh, the beginning of August, go to Fubai, and then to Mylock, which was my PCS with, uh, with uh, Major Sincere, my first combat commander. And then it was from there that uh, 
uh, we went to uh, Da Nang for the infamous stupid uh, uh, promotion board. I remember talking to Roy Barr at Soar a couple of years ago, the, the late Roy Barr, the great Roy Barr. Indeed. And uh, I said, you got to tell me, sir, what was the purpose of that, that promotion board? And he said, it was pretty damn stupid. I mean, there's no reason to have it. <laughs> You know, if you were in the upper ranks trying to try to get it promoted to E7 or E8, that's something. But PFC to spec four, I mean, that's a rubber stamp. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> I never appeared before a promotion exactly. board. Exactly. I never. I never appeared before. I, I never appeared for one in my entire time in the army. Yeah. I was supposed to, but I didn't. So anyway, that 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 was uh, the promotion board story. Um, as you know, we were honored uh, three years ago at SOAR to, to present to the families of those who had fallen on 2368 a very nice program. Um, which were helped by Body Cooper and Eldon Bargewell and, and Spider Parks were our sure. co-chairmen. And you got you put aside your modesty for a moment. This was a special operations association of which you are now duly elected president, sir. Until impeached, yes, sir. <laughs> Until impeached, <laughs> indeed. But you know, uh, we got to back up a little bit. Talk about your FOB three because er earlier in '68, FOB three was located at Quezon. Correct. As on the western perimeter, I believe, of the historic Quezon battle with the Marine Corps. I believe it was the west wall, yes. And so they were running missions out there. When Quezon was closed, uh, we still needed that operational base up there. Clyde Sincere went out and opened Mylock, which had no perimeter. And uh, when you got there, what was it like besides muddy? That's it was just mud. There's a one picture <laughs> of me with a tent with no shirt on, and I'm having a cigarette, and I remember going into whatever the closest ville was and buying a bamboo mat because okay, that's what I slept on. Really? Yeah. We had a <laughs> we had a cook who was uh, I don't know what his English was like, but uh, uh, we had a cook, and that's the only staff person I think we had was a was a cook. Oh my! Why they picked that place I don't know because as you know, right next door, they were building an A team. The, uh, there was an SFA team at Mylock that they were building you know structures for. We didn't get shit. Okay, there was just nothing there. Why they put it there, I don't know. It was a short chopper ride from Quezon. That's all I can say. It's still close to Route 9 and the DMZ in Laos. So. And, the, and the, the targets across the fence. Yes, exactly. So Indeed. It, it was a launch site, really. I mean, it really was an FOB. It was just a place for helicopters to land. Well, yeah, and, uh, uh, we, and they started to do that uh, perimeter, and that was when they had one of those tragedies where they were putting mines out that we lost one of our uh, soldiers there with a bouncing Betty. Yeah, we lost Gary Matson, and yeah. um, you know, there's there's uh, Jeff Junkins was with him, and uh, that that kind of messed him up too for the oh, rest yeah. of his life. Absolutely. But, uh, uh, yeah, that was horrible. I wasn't there that day, but uh, you know, I came back and they said be very careful. I think Junkins was trapped in the minefield for a couple of hours. He landed on top him. of one. Yeah, and then the the team members came out and were able to get him off it without being exploded. Right, I right. just can't imagine. Well, it was it was, uh, it was a dangerous place. If you wanted to get out to Route 9, it wasn't that far. It was a couple of miles, but you had to take minesweepers out, hand minesweepers, and go ahead of the deuce and a half to get to, to Route 9 to uh, wow. get there. It was, it was, it was primitive. Indeed. And Route 9 <laughs> was one of the major East highways. East-West highways. That was, right. Yes, indeed. Paralleling DMZ. And uh, there was that... Uh, Oh, so while you're at Mylock, at some point you run into a, another Spec 4. I, I ran into three or uh, four interesting people, including you. Uh, <laughs> but I ran into a guy named Eldon Bargewell. He came out a little later than I did. 
I ran a mission uh, with uh, Recon Team Georgia, Tom Cofield and Stan, Stan Seeding, the sure. day after I got back from 23 August 68. Really? Right away? Right away, yeah. <laughs> and we went into... That was your cherry mission. That was my cherry mission. We went to an AO in Laos, which I learned later no one had lasted a day. We lasted five days. All he heard was warning shots. And then, uh, you know, I'm the low man on the totem pole. I'm oh, yeah. carrying the pick 25. I'm the one, too. And we were in our RON position waiting to be extracted on the fifth day. We had IFR weather. The weather was terrible. Well, we got overrun. This is the second time in a week I got overrun. I was no. overrun Godshall. Don't, don't hang out with me. Bad thing happened. We an estimated a reinforced platoon came up on a hill. We had an Arvin sergeant there. We think we fell asleep. Uh, Tom Cofield beat himself up for the rest of his tour of Vietnam. And... Uh, uh, we suffered some horrendous casualties. Uh, Stan Seating was killed. Um, we had a, <clears throat> and the Arvin Sergeant was killed. A bunch of us were wounded. And uh, the helicopters, uh, these is, this is another story. Uh, SOA is just not recon teams. Uh, right. MACV SOG is just not recon teams. It's helicopters. Absolutely. We're all alive today thanks to them. Right. Well, they, they navigated to our position in Laos by hitting their skids on the top of the trees. It was two slicks. No gunships, no Cobras, no A1Es, no no cover whatsoever to come and get us, and we had to. And you're under fire. We're under fire, and I'm dragging Stan, and uh, we're trying to get the rest of the team there, and uh, they came there, and uh, the world famous chase medic Dicky was on the was, was on the helicopter. <laughs> That's a Dicky Crawford. Dicky Crawford, yes, and I kept telling him take care of Stan. Stan had been shot right away, and. He was dead. I knew it, but Dick, Dick, he, uh kept telling me, "Don't worry about. It. There's nothing you can do." Wow. So we uh, we flew to Quang Tri because we had some injured brew. Uh, Kumba was uh, had a hole in his shoulder you could see through. So we went to the army hospital in, in Quang Tri, and they wouldn't treat him because he was indigenous. So we convinced the staff that they really ought to treat them or die. We locked and loaded and said, "We need to take care of this guy." So they did. Uh, oh my God. Then we came back to Quang Tree, excuse me, came back to Mylock, and uh, uh, I discovered then that I had some shrapnel in my shoulder and arm. And uh, Robert Shippen, medic extraordinary, medic, sure. Sure, he, uh, he took uh, some uh, shrapnel out of various pieces of my shoulder and left arm and, and wrapped me up in a bandage. I looked like, a, I don't know, he looked like he took all the bandages he had and wrapped me up. It looked like 10 pounds of bandages. <laughs> and Roy Barr flew in. From Fubai, because he'd heard about, you know, we did yeah. this disaster. And uh, he said, how are you? I said, sir, I'm, I'm just fine. There's there's nothing here. And Shippen says, no, this is a real, I said, You're, we're okay, okay? Yeah. We're, we're just fine. Uh, the forward story is I, I refused to take a Purple Heart. Right. And actually, my dad did the same thing in World War II in the Navy. When he is had that right? 250 people on his ship killed. He said, I'm not taking a Purple Heart. Oh, my God. And he died with shrapnel on his chest. So about Whoa. six months later, I'm in Da Nang yeah. with Dickie, and uh, 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 there, there, some very nice people nominated me for a civil star, Silver Star. They gave it to Stan Seating, which is the right thing to do for his family. He, we lost him. And uh, I'm in Da Nang with Dickie walking up the, the main drag, and he said, uh, you didn't take a Purple Heart. I said, sir, you know, Stan was killed. We know guy was killed. Kumba had a hole through him. I just had some shrapnel. And he said, one of these days, and I can't tell you the whole story, but one of these days, uh, you're so ugly, but you might find some woman who likes you. You might figure out how to make children, and your children should know that you were wounded. So my purple heart says Sergeant Godshaw, because it was given six months later. Right, and I brought but stars, that's how you've been promoted, August, yeah. I, I, Without a promotion board. 
Right, and with glasses. And with glasses. And I had those ugly gray glasses they oh, gave. Oh, they were a stone. You and Eldon, Tony had those ugly glasses. Eldon Bargewell said those were, those were the biggest prophylactics the Army could have. No one was going <laughs> to want to date anyone with those stupid glasses. And then fast forward many, many years, Yeah. Eldon Bargewell found me because uh, we, had, we both were on the same Purple Heart orders. He got his first Purple Heart on the same orders. I got my only Purple Heart. Oh, uh, wow. In April of 68 and uh, uh, so forth. Well, back to Eldon, everyone's favorite, E4. He showed up in Mylock, spent a cup of coffee there because he was only there. We were there in August and it was shut down in December. I mean, it wasn't right. even a year that it was there. And then I got to know him better in Da Nang when he was running teams. He was running RT Michigan. I was a strap hanger all the time. Uh, RT Georgia was didn't have a 1-0 for a long time. And I ran a couple of missions with him. Uh, he was uh, a tremendous athlete. I mean, really a good athlete. Oh, he yeah. was a star halfback in high school. I think he uh, played football in college, and he could run like a deer. And um, he never forgot anything. If you told him something, he never forgot. He had a fantastic memory. And uh, Sometimes that was really a liability. He was. <laughs> but he's also a little superstitious, as a, since we all were. You know? Oh, yeah, and he absolutely. Said, here's, here's my issue. He says, if I take your picture, you live. Everyone who I take their picture of, they, they survive. I said, take my picture. So there's a bad picture that Jason Hardy has of me standing, looking. I'm 21, I look like I'm 9, uh, standing in the recon company with a stupid <laughs> hat on, a stupid smile, and those stupid gray glasses. Oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> Jason Hardy found that f- for me years ago. But I ran a couple missions with uh, Eldon, and, um, um, you know, he was the legendary SAG soldier uh, oh, yeah. uh, for, for, for most of us. And when I finally, when he finally called me up in late August, uh, when store was still in September, and he said, uh, is this Doug Godshaw? And I'm thinking, you know, what's this guy trying to sell me? Was this yeah. Doug Godshaw in Special Force of Vietnam? I said, yes, sir. He said, this is Eldon. I said, Eldon, how are you? He says, you got to come out to SOA. I said, what's SOA? <laughs> and uh, I had just won tickets to the Ryder Cup oh, in a lottery. Wow. It was in Kentucky. And, and uh, I gave the tickets to a client of mine, a friend of mine, to go, and I came out to SOA, and uh, Cleet was the president. Yeah, and he said, "Welcome home." And Eldon uh, couldn't have been nicer to me. Got to see you. And Eldon was on the board then too, as a director. I think. I think he was. Yeah. Uh, Troll came up to me. Everyone remembers Troll, George Sternberg. Indeed. Sawcast number one. Exactly. Was he? He yeah. should be. Yeah. And he said, "You ran with Eldon, didn't you?" I said, "Yeah." He says, "Welcome home." And so. No kidding. Yeah, it was. It was very interesting. And I met Robert Shippen, you know, who had stitched me up. Indeed. And then, so when I brought my wife out a year or two later to the next store, Shippen ratted on me. <laughs> he told Kathy that I had to be escorted to my room because I had probably been overserved. <laughs> Kathy said, You stinker. Anyway, no. I said, Shippen, you're the stinker. You know, you're, you're ratting on your buddy here. Indeed. <laughs> There's some things that should stay in my life. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> stay away from me. But he was, he's a good guy. So when, uh, so when you ran a couple of targets with Eldon, he was the 1-0 at that point? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So you learned from the master. Yeah. Uh, and Tom Cofield was a good 1-0. Tom Cofield was Great a guy. good 1-0. There was a guy named Andy whose name I can't remember. We went to a, a mission to DMZ with Andy. He was a good guy. As I said, I was a strap hanger. After we lost Steeding, we, we had an incomplete right. team. 
Uh, I went TDY to Bambi to it for a month, ran with a guy uh, named Gregory Grandison, a 1-0 there. So you, they picked you up and sent you there by yourself right. without a team or anything? Correct. Oh, my God. Right. And I was talking to uh, Captain Harrison, who's here today. Randy Harrison? Randy Harrison. Yes. Yeah, he was the com- recon company commander. And, and uh, I'm trying to remember the, the name of the other guy I ran with. I'm still a 1-2. Ran a mission with uh, a Grandison, who was a good guy, a good another blonde haired <coughs> officer, into Cambodia. It was so flat; it was lovely it was, compared and to Laos. You know, you just oh, walk, yeah. no up and downs, great on your knees. Then he got sick after the first mission, which was the, I think it's the only mission I was on that we never got shot at. Um, we, hit, we were set for another mission, and uh, this E five, who was the one one, ran the team. So we got inserted near the, quote, Big River in Cambodia. We're not supposed to name, name it the Big River. You know, it was the Mekong. <laughs> Indeed. And doing a river watch, and we were on this little island. And um, uh, I didn't know it then, but this E-5 had never been out before. That was his cherry run, and he's the team commander now. Oh, team. wow. Because and he was there and you weren't. You're exactly. Just, you're a strap hanger, even though I'm you got worlds of experience. Uh, that, that's all right. Yeah. So we see this boat out in the middle of the river, and it's got a big damn gun on it. It's about a 30-foot boat, patrol boat, and it's got like the equivalent of a 50 caliber on it. And it's going the opposite way from we came in. We came on the waist of this island. There was a little path. It wasn't that far from the mainland, maybe 100 yards. And I said to this guy, I said, uh, if that boat turns around, they found us. Okay. It's only been about an hour since we we infiltrated, since we landed. Yeah. And we make a lot of noise. You know, people say, how how do they find you? Well, the helicopters make a shitload of noise. Always. Okay. And uh, sure enough, the boat turned around, starts heading toward our island. And uh, so I turned to my, my team leader, and I said, okay, what are we going to do? And he's sitting under the tree, shaking. Oh, no. He completely flipped out. He couldn't handle it. So I took over the team. I split the team against all the rules. Indeed. Uh, put my best uh, uh, mountain yards out on the point where the boat was coming with some claymores, and I thought they'd also attack us from the, from the land on the waste, and I got lucky. So I took that piece there. I took some soldiers there. And we were very lucky, got all, all my guys out. They landed at two places, and uh, none of my guys suffered a scratch. Wow. And uh, so The Claymores I, worked on the boat? The Claymores worked on the guys getting off the boat. We worked on the other side with the car 15s and the grenades. And then, uh, uh, so we're waiting now. I called for uh, a prayer fire for an extract, and Curly got on the phone. <laughs> the commander of Bammy Tuit, who is a well-beloved guy who was uh, 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 follically challenged and and uh, he said uh, whoever this is I, I I want you to continue the mission Charlie Mike I said sir with all due respect I cannot I didn't tell him my team leader was paralyzed yeah, right. and useless and still sitting by a tree chattering and uh, so we came back to Bammy to it I just told uh, the colonel never send this guy out again that's all I got to say don't happen don't don't do that and we were also, in addition to River Watch, we were supposed to do in a snatch. He wanted to, you know, everyone always wanted a POW always. snatch. Always. So he made fun of me at dinner at the, um, at the mess hall last night. You know, God's show came back, and he didn't get a prisoner, and we're going to get one next time, in a good-natured way. Yeah, of course. Uh, but uh, Curly. He, cur- Curly made, made me stand up and say, here's another failure. He didn't get a POW. But <laughs> uh, that was, I ran two missions at Bammy too. It was a nice place. Wow. Oh. Yeah, because I, I never got there. I was just down at Honoctel, which is FOB6. And still, they, 
so the idea was they're just going to put you on the island. You're going to watch the river, and those and you're only out there for an hour, and your cover's broken, and here they come with it, a fifty caliber. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm looking at this guy. I say, Oh my god, what are you doing there? You know. Anyway. <laughs> so. Just another day in Sog. I was lucky. I was a yeah. lucky guy. So from there, you go back. At some point, you wind up at Fubai. Then they close Fubai. Uh, I think I went directly from Bamitua to Da Nang. It was around Thanksgiving, Christmas, and um, my lot closed at some point. I wasn't there when the uh, uh, infamous mission with the, the crummy ammunition went into Laos. November thirtieth. November thirtieth. Yeah. I was not there then, so right. I know I I know I had Thanksgiving. Well, that's one of those little moments in time we were talking about that at the last reunion. Right. You're down at FOB five, that FOB six, and we all came home after that uh, Kingby crash with it got shot down. Right. With seven SF on it, and then the uh, they were later able to recover them. And they were also, they, I think, is that the one where they also buried the Kingby crew with the Americans? I'm not sure about that. I know that uh, when we were burying uh, the successor to our team, uh, Michigan, in, in, in Arlington 10 years ago or whatever it was, um, Billy Brown and Gunther Wald and, and right. Shu, that Eldon took us of a tour of Arlington, and there's a memorial to those guys. In, in Arlington, the memorial to those guys on the divide who died on November 30th, 1968, when they were shot down. Well, I should shot up, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and But there was one, I, uh, there was one, I think, Air Force guy whose family never believed that, uh, you know, their, their son was killed because they couldn't get his remains or remains satisfactory. It was very sad. But there is a, there is a, a memorial to that. Right. In and just for um, our listeners, on November 30th, we had an H-34 South Vietnamese Air Force Kingby that was uh, flying towards Laos or maybe actually over Laos at the time. Could had have gone been. across a fence. And the mission was an eldest son. Correct. Which was to insert... Uh, ammunition that was rigged to explode right. when the enemy used it. And so it was a volunteer mission and with seven um, SF men on it. And uh, that might be Rob Graham. And then uh, en route, they get shot down. And right. we had the, the, um, the muskets were flying escort. And uh, Berg Garla was one of the witnesses that saw it get hit and go down. Yeah. And they came back, and uh, in our case, we got we were literally in the field, and they pulled us out and said, "You got to get back to FOB one," and uh, that was why. And so I'm assuming you went right back too because of the same reason. I, I don't know what reason, but I'm pretty sure <clears throat> I went from Bami to it directly to sure. Da Nang and spent the rest of the '69 until I went home in Da Nang. And so when you land at Da Nang, you're a strap hanger. Do I'm you still with RT Georgia. I, I had a oh, bunch back of- on Georgia. Okay. They were always trying to find a one zero for Georgia, and they had a couple of candidates that didn't work out. And um, uh, but I would do strap hanging in between. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to be active. There was always a couple of guys who were giving me a hard time because I didn't graduate from training group. And uh, so I while you were there, oh yeah. So I I always said I'm going to try to run as many missions as I can and just prove that I'm 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 doing the job. Indeed. You know, period. So I, I did a lot of strap hanging. Uh, the last recon mission I ran was the infamous Dewey Canyon, which you know all about. Uh, which but tell our, tell our listeners a little bit about that, because that was a hellacious sideshow. 
Well, the, it, from a command point of view, it was a total clusterfuck. Indeed. But, uh, we were uh, a battalion-sized operation, which SF never did, let alone MACV SOG, on the west side of the Ashau in Laos. Yeah. Um, and as you know, the Ashau Valley was probably the most dangerous area in South Vietnam. Um, we had an A-team that... The, the base had been wiped out years three. ago. We had three ATs three wiped team, out. Yeah, yes, sir. Horrible. So, and the Marines were on the east side. They were on the uh, uh, VN sort of the border, and we were sort of a blocking force and sort of tried to push the uh, the bad guys towards the Marines where they can wipe them out. So there was uh, Lieutenant Armstrong had one of the companies. He had a brew company. I forget who had the other company of Indige. I'm pretty sure Dan Thompson was on that mission, too, but I could be wrong. But I know Mike Armstrong was. But right. That, that was—I was running point for the— uh, You were running point? I was running point, and we're on the top of a ridge. And and if you're in a two-company operation, you're always going to be in a fast trail. I mean, you can't go through the woods like we right. could on a you know, 10-man, 9-man uh, recon team. So I found at the top of the ridge a little cache of enemy supplies, maybe twice or three times the size of this desk. There was some rice, there was some combs, there was some uniforms. And the infamous Major Moore was the commander. No. And uh, so we stopped and we called him up, and um, and he said, well, I want you to destroy this cache, uh, Sergeant Cottrell. I said, sir, that's not, that's not, that wouldn't be my choice. Uh, we make too much noise as it is. I'm used to being on recon teams. We don't talk for five days. We yeah. just talk about break and hand signals and all that. And he wants us to destroy this cache, which is going to make too much noise. And uh, so and there'll be smoke, so anybody can sight in for yeah, artillery. Why don't you just tell them where the hell we are? Yeah. Excuse me, sir. But anyway, I didn't <laughs> say that. I'm sure I didn't. I wasn't that brave. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it was my turn to be relieved from the point, and we know what happened after noon. The team that took over the point was. Uh, the guy, another guy, I'm from Pennsylvania. He was from Pennsylvania, from Mon- Mon- Montgomery County, and took over the point and about 150 yards walked into an L-shaped ambush and got wiped out. Whoa. Yeah. And uh, so instead of doing anything, we sat there. One, there, was a, there was a Nun company. In addition to the brew company, there was a Chinese Nun company. We sat there for a few days, just sat there, and that enabled the bad guys to zero in their 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 mortars so at 7 sure. a.m at 7 a.m here here's the incoming uh, <laughs> we we dug in um they were very good i mean hit, they hit within a, a foot of my uh, uh of the hole i had dug once and all the dirt spread out no one got hurt but after a few days the engineer types got some c4 and blew some of the trees down to make a uh, an lz so that we could get out of there Somehow they'd made a determination we weren't going to go forward. I don't know why. I would have rather gone forward, kept moving, and, yeah. and uh, just you know keep moving, watch out. We we had a large enough force that we could we, we could handle ourselves. So uh, late one afternoon, um, the first helicopters come in, and uh, later on I got the story because I'm I'm still uh, maybe I'm a sergeant then I don't know respect for, but. Um, uh, the first one who left the LZ was Major Moore. He was the commander. He got on the first chopper. They had a temporary LZ in Vietnam set up, and there was an 06 waiting there. Now, I don't know where this 06 was from. I don't know where it was from Saigon, but he's waiting to, you know, greet us there. And we came in on big choppers, and Major Moore gets off, and the 06 supposedly said, I've never been more shocked in my professional life to see the commander be the first one to step off the exfiltration. Oh, my God. 
I got out later that day. Uh, they didn't get us all out that night. The nuns started walking away, and we got everyone out the next few days. And I saw Major Moore in Da Nang a few days later saying, well, see you later. I'm going back to the States. So I'm, he got relieved of uh, any further duties in connection with the war and went home. Because this was the same Major Moore that on August 22nd, he was told and days before there were at least three transmissions saying attack imminent. We think so, but we're not sure. Not 100% sure. If you get on, I'm not much on Googling stuff, but there's pages of stuff on Dewey Canyon from people who were officers or commanders uh, at that time, not me, who wrote uh, information about Dewey Canyon. But uh, we, we think it's the same major more, but we do not know that. Yeah. I do not know that. Indeed. We can just deal with the facts here. Nothing right. but the facts, sir. And then after that, I went to, uh, uh, I got to meet Mike Armstrong, wonderful, wonderful officer, wonderful man. And uh, he asked me to be the first sergeant on the hatchet force, which is a big deal for being the only other American. He was the commander. He was a uh, first lieutenant or a captain. I was a sergeant in uh, the ransom hatch. I remember talking to the the senior NCOs, and they said, Doug, you're still going to go out with missions. I said, that's fine. I just want to go out with a guy I know who's a good leader. Uh, we did. Somebody you trust. Somebody I trust. The one zeros that came through Georgia did not work out. Uh, one of them, uh, this is one of my wife's favorite stories, <laughs> was a young lieutenant, a Cherry. And his father was a lifer, and this guy was gung-ho. So he's going to be the one zero for Georgia. We go down to uh, Saigon. And we get briefed by a two-star Air Force guy. Where are we going? Well, we're going to go to the Northwest, Contra, uh, uh, Northwest Quadrant of the Mujia Pass, the main pass from North Vietnam to Laos and the Ho Chi Minh Trail. And they had some pretty good high-resolution pictures. You could see 55-gallon drums yeah. on the ground. Well, what's in the southeast corner? Well, there's a battalion of troops. What's in the northeast corner? Well, there's a battalion of troops. Well, what's in the southwest corner? There's, there's some troops there, too. What about the Northwest Corps? Well, we don't know. That's why you're sending us, why we're sending you there, Sergeant <laughs> Lieutenant. And uh, I said, well, have we had any teams go in there? Well, not any teams with Americans. We've had Indige go in with those radios that say punch for tank, punch for troops, and so forth. Yeah, yeah. What'd they find? Well, they didn't come out. I said, with all due respect, sir, I know who's in there. It's my buddies from the 5th NVA Panzer Division. That's who's in there. <laughs> that place is full of bad guys, Okay. So how'd you know that? <laughs> oh, the, the the indigenous teams and don't come out. Then uh, uh, so we came back to Da Nang and we're running a training mission with my new one zero and I talked to the brew. They weren't going out with him. They weren't going to go out with the Cherry one zero. Right. So we had a little training mission. Um, helicopter tipped a little bit and he got pushed a little bit out of the helicopter, not oh. from very high, but just from about ten feet, just enough yeah. to break a leg or an ankle. <laughs> And uh, we did not go out with him. <laughs> oh, my. How, these unfortunate accidents. Unfortunate accident, <laughs> yes. It was very unfortunate. I hope, he, I hope his orthopedic injuries went well. Indeed. Well, so you're juggling hatchet force duty, and at that point, do you finally become the one zero for I was the, I was, I was the, the, the one one for, for, for months, you know. And I was very happy doing that. Yeah. I, did, I did not want to be a one zero. I turned down Rakondo school. I just wanted to run missions and, uh, you know, be a contributor to just the, like That's like the Doug, Doug Eternals, same, same. Just go. Yeah. That's it. Oh, my God. So you, you wound up going in with the hatchet force with yes. Armstrong. Yes. What kind of missions were they? 
There was a, we never hear much about the hacking yeah, force. Yeah, well, they're more more of an attack force. When you're looking for something to attack them, I know that on the last mission, again, we're looking for POWs. You know, we're trying to make a snatch. So we're big enough that we could, uh, you know, deploy a squad or two to, you know, use as a minor blocking force if we found a guy. Um, we didn't. Uh, one of the most interesting things I ever did in Vietnam was in our last hatchet force uh, uh, mission. We were probably in South Vietnam, right on the border. But the Navy had a program. They wanted to use their battleships. And the USS New Jersey. New Jersey, Sure was offshore, and I talked to a, um, a lieutenant fac from uh, the Navy, and we called in uh, firepower, 16-inch uh, rounds from the New Jersey. It was the stupidest thing. Why were we call 16-inch <laughs> rounds into the triple canopy jungle? What was the point of that, you know? We had to walk them in from a click away. We had to start away from a, a right. click. Right, oh, sure. And, uh, you know, we were never sure where the fuck we were anyway and on the ground. So we walked it in, and uh, I called in, uh, 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 you know, firepower from the New Jersey in May or June of 1969. But, uh, well, I, th- I can't I, imagine that firepower. So did it ignite at the top of the triple canopy, or did it no, penetrate through? No, it went through. It penetrated through. It made a big, big, big sound, big sound. Oh, yeah. I can remember hearing them go overhead. It right. sounded like a Volkswagen going over your head. And they also, when they fired those off those big cannons, and by the way, you know, the New Jersey's in Camden, New Jersey now. It's that's it's a permanent yes. uh, part of the, your native state, my, my grandfather's native state. And uh, when they fired those guns, they fired blanks on the other side so that the ship didn't tip. <laughs> so That's a little factoid I never knew. Yeah, yeah, so uh, Mac V. Sog was helped by the Navy that day. Uh, Indeed. <laughs> Did you actually have any enemy to shoot at? Or were we just fire for effect? I have no idea. My <laughs> recollection is very poor on that, but I know we, we probably had some guys, you know, we had some bad guys we were trying to fire up, but I, I would have chosen other ways to do it. Well, there aren't many SOG guys that can say, I called in the, the USS New Jersey <laughs> on a 16 inch rounds. Oh my God. Because yeah. they're like 2,000 pounds. Yeah, they were they were Huge. big suckers. Yeah, they they're a little bigger than the NATO round, just a little. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you got this Navy background. That's that's fascinating. You got those details. I never knew that because they fired, then they fired blanks on the other side to keep a balance on the ship. Otherwise, Correct. it would have rolled over. It would have rolled. I think <sighs> it rolled over. But uh, there's those are some big big explosions when those suckers leave the cannon. So, uh, so you and Armstrong did a couple of missions with the yes. Hatchet Force. Yeah, we did uh, two or three, something like that, because I got on the Hatchet Force like February, March, and I yeah. my Deros was in uh, July. Great guy, wonderful man. And in between, you come back to do anything more with uh, RT Georgia? No, I passed them on. I said, you know, we got to get a, uh, you know, we got to get the team up to strength with Americans. You need a qualified one zero. And they, they continued on. I know I know they did missions in 70 and 71. RT Georgia was still sure. around. Sure. I remember them in camp after after that mission uh, when Tom was the 1-0 that you were on. Right. And there was that question. At one point we had, do you remember Henry King? Yes. And Henry was from Georgia. We kept saying, yes, Henry, you know, this is perfect. You're from Georgia. Right. You should be the 1-0. And he was like, no, no. I don't want 1-0 duty. Right, right. And no, then. Uh, neither did I. Yeah, so when he said no, uh, we took him out on a mission with us, and he took a, he took the experimental pump M79, and he took that, but he carried all this ammo, and 
the second day we're on the ground, we climbed this mountain all day, and then we got near the top. Henry goes, can I get rid of Burry a couple of rounds? Because he was beat. But he was strong. He's a big guy. Oh yeah, yeah. he's a big, strong guy. Great guy. Yeah, yeah. And he ran like you. He ran many, many teams, other teams than us, with as a strap hanger. But that's doesn't decrease the danger at all. No, there's a piece of strap hanging that's not smart because you've not worked with the team and and you're not sure what the guy is going to do under fire. But I'd been, I'd been on a number of teams and a number of missions, so I was, I was considered reliable i wasn't going to well you were you had a good right you had a good reputation and you know the little people talk behind the scenes because yes, they, they would do. go who's this guy right. and they would go to the team that you had been on or right. been out with so your reputation was rock solid there well that's why we had that issue with the new one zero and we talked to the brewer that we weren't going out with him so <laughs> we, we came up with a plan <laughs> so of all your targets with georgia what was your worst mission which one comes to mind well, I think the worst mission has got to be the first one. One with Tom. Yeah, the one with Tom and Stan seating. I mean, Stan was killed right away. It was horrible. We didn't expect it. We run over. I'd just come back from 23 August, and uh, uh, th- that was just that was just horrible. Sure. Sure. I mean, there were bloodier missions or more casualties on other missions, but uh, Stan and, and Tom had treated me so well. So, Indeed. So f- at some point, you turn around, you come home. I did. I got, I, I had, you know, I didn't know what I was uh, getting into in July of 68, but by July of 69, I was treated very well. Yeah. And they, when I left, they said, we'd like to give you your S designation on the MOS. I turned that down because I still had an attitude. You know, yeah. <laughs> fuck you. You didn't want to give it to me. You tr- threw me out of the training group. I'd ran missions here. They asked me to go to OCS, and I turned that down. And uh, years later, when I talked to Eldon, I had seen him once or twice in Bragg in my, my last year. Right. And he said, you turned down an S designation? I said, yes. He said, that was a stupid fucking thing to do. <laughs> I said, yes, it was, Elton. It was stupid. That was a mistake on my part. <laughs> so he Live got, and learn. He and uh, Cliff Newman got me orders later on. There's a lot of guys early in the history of SF that didn't go through his training group. Right. The Bad Tolls group. Sure. And Cliff Newman was one of them. Clyde Sincere is another one. He said, you're qualified. I'll get you orders so that you can get the Special Forces tab in lieu of the fact that you were such a dumbass and didn't get the S. So. <laughs> well, you're busy running misses, too. It wasn't <laughs> like you were sitting around playing tiddlywinks. Right. Anyway, but it was very, it was very nice. And uh, Cliff and uh, Eldon took care of me, and I got those very nice orders. Well, yeah, and, and the uh, one of the sidebars to that is the missions were so difficult. We lost so many people. We did that by 68, we were recruiting from other airborne units. Like we had a guy that came over from the 173rd, ran a mission with us, Mike Krawcheck. Mike Krawcheck. Came in from the 101st. Lou DeSeda. Lou DeSeda from the 173rd. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we, and that, that that's why Mike and I and Bill were recruited also. We were 11 Bravos. We'd gone through infantry training. As you know, you didn't have to have infantry training to be in training group. But right. if you had infantry training, we were- It helped. It, it, it were helped. And we, we'd been through jump school, so Clyde and I had conversations later, many years later, and he said, yeah, I was always looking for people. We lost uh, 68, you know, SOG averaged two wounds apiece. All of us averaged two wounds. I had one oh, is that right? from uh, yeah, Georgia, and then I had one from Friendly Fire doing a mission with one of these trainee one zeros who fired an M79 in front of me on a training mission, and I had shrapnel on my right arm this time. 
the worst. Well, in- now you're bounced. Well, well, the worst injury is I hit him on the side of my head with the M79. Stupid <laughs> asshole! Don't do that. And uh, I got to meet John Walton. Is that right? John Walton took the took the shrapnel out of my right leg, on my right, right arm. arm. Yeah. John uh, John Walton, the legendary medic, silver star, indeed, handsomest guy in in uh, Da Nang, and and he died with a couple of pennies in his pocket. Sam Walton's indeed, Sam Walton's he did. What a great guy! Absolutely, one of our best all time medics, yep. Yep. and brought back Tom Cunningham after his leg was blown off in uh, yes, August third in Ashaw. Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. So because we had. Uh, Bob Shipman also helped later with the, the Frenchman get his Purple Heart. Yep. Because his first mission, he had shrapnel, and it took us 40 years plus to get the, uh, <laughs> but Bob Shipman and, and Colonel Barr. And Colonel Barr, yeah. They both stepped up to the plate, right. and we got Doug his Purple Heart. So it's like these medics of uh, fame. Right. Indeed. So um, so you go back to Bragg, you begin to wrap things up there. How long were you there at Bragg? You go into seventh group then or third? No, I, I told you, I, I turned down my S, and one of the reasons I did is I wanted to go to Fort Lewis to become a drill sergeant. Okay. They had openings there, and I thought I could help some of these 19-year-old idiots going into the first <laughs> air cab uh, survive for a month. So I got back to Bragg, and they said, no, you're going to the division because you're still P qualified. So I spent an unhappy year in the division, hiding from all my SF friends. I should have written back to the Nang and said, "Give me my ass," but it, uh, and they, yeah. I would have gone to one of the groups, uh, uh, working uh, for first sergeant as a personnel S- NCO, filling out morning reports and right. waiting, waiting to get out. And uh, got out in August '70 and went back to Philly. Back to Philadelphia. Yeah. So where'd you go from there? Uh, I went started school back the next day. I had screwed up college the first time. I See another parallel. I flunked well, out. Did you flunk out? Or did I did you just not quit? flunk out. I quit. <laughs> I, I was kicked I absolutely, out. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So when we were doing uh, 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 burying RT Michigan in Arlington, and uh, no, no, we're burying Boyer. Boyer. And his sister said, "You know, my 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 brother started college and it didn't work, and he joined special forces." And I said to her, "There's lots of us like that. Absolutely. I bet everyone." 90% had been to college and decided it wasn't working for whatever. John Walton was Raising. one of us. Yes, right. But the school, he got bored. Unlike me flunking out and you got bored of it and said, I'm going to go to war now. Yeah. And you so, signed up. Yeah. Did you read the book? Oh, yeah. Ah, see? My mother gave me uh, Robin Moore's book, The Green Beret, on yeah. uh, Christmas of 1964, my senior year in high school. And that, that's what got me. I mean, I, I. Oh, me too. I wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah, because in the summer of 66, I'm working in Yosemite. Dad goes, hey, you did it, you're out. The board's going to come draft you. And I, literally within days, I saw the book, and I was a trash man, garbage man. And at during the break, I read the book. <laughs> it's like, that's it. If I'm going to Nam, I want to go with these guys. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because, you know, I had that story about uh, the guy who was killed in Vietnam, SF guy. He says, if I get killed, name a latrine after me. And when we went to Natrang, uh, I found a latrine and yeah. used his latrine because I right. read about it in the book. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> L- little known story that probably deserves to remain little known. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, uh, so okay, you go back. You go to where'd you go to college? I went back to Temple University in Philadelphia and uh, great school. And uh, worked and uh, went to school and just kept my head squared away and got a degree in. Uh, I did. 
90 credits in 21 months and and uh, 90 in 21 months yeah I, I, I was <laughs> I was really embarrassed that I'd screwed up college the first time so I, I wanted to do it correctly the second time so I, oh my god so I then did, from near to law school I took a year off uh, drove a truck went to Europe for a little bit and then went to law school and met the lovely Kathy indeed yes. and to law school where Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland oh no kidding yeah so I've been TDY in Ohio since 1973. <laughs> One of these days I'm going to PCS to Eastern Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, things to work on, right? That's projects, it. projects. That's right. That's right. Uh, and then, um, of course, we've talked a little bit about the Special Operations Association. Eldon recruited you in there. He did. And uh, um, during these last few years, other than the COVID year, that we were all MIA because of COVID in 2020. But prior to that. Um, you were on the board of directors. You put me on. It's your fault. <laughs> uh, no comment. <laughs> but you're there. You helped uh, helped us with a couple of major events, which are, you know others that are familiar with the SOA said is truly unique. We had the 2018 uh, reunion, which you were part of, and of course we had Bonnie Cooper working with us and right. a few others, Mike Saint, Taylor, Saint Bonnie the Good, indeed, and. Uh, so we had that uh, 50th anniversary to remember and pay homage to the 16 men we lost on August 23rd. Yes. Family, some families came out, and that was, for all of us, that was just a big day. We had, uh, in the 300 people in the breakfast, we had five Medal of Honor winners. Five? Five. I've forgotten that. And um, they never, you know, stood up and said, oh, hey, I'm an MOH guy or anything like that. Those guys didn't roll like that. And, right. And uh, the families were overwhelmed we also did a ceremony at the wall in dc on the exact 50th day on 23 august 2018 dan thompson and i put together a ceremony and had most of the families there uh, steve brick was there with his right. family and um the, it's just so sad you know the survivor's guilt just grabs you with those things uh, oh yeah why why am i standing here why wasn't i wiped out on the first uh, uh the first hours, uh, like Bill Brick was, you know, so it was, it was, it was a very. Well, I'm glad we did it. The families really enjoyed it. We we went and made, let them know they are never forgotten. They never will be. Yeah, because every time they have that um, at our reunion, we have that reading for the POW MIA table. It's like, wow. Yeah, we, absolutely. We have. We did. I think Phil Devon, our current treasurer, he's a numbers guy. He did the math. When you talk about. The missing soldiers from MACV SOG, it's something like 15% of our number are still missing. We are missing something like, between the recon teams and the uh, flight crews, about 150. The total missing from the Vietnam War is 1,500. 1,5104. 10% of that. And we today. had maybe 300 guys running recon teams at any one point. Right. Maybe. Yeah. And they, because the numbers break down, it's like 20,000 SF. During the entire war, 2,000 were in SOG, and out of the 2,000, depending on which author you talk to, yes. five to 700, 800 ran missions across Maybe. the fence. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. know each author, like Plaster has one number, I've got one, but mine always bounce around from talking to others and talking to our friends at DPAA. Right, right. I was talking to Dave Maurer the other uh, 19. Yeah, he's and Dave. Just for the record, is one of those unique gentlemen who, like Cleet Sinyard, was in the Battle of the Idrang Valley Correct. first with First Cav before Correct. he came to Special Forces. 
He had 900 days in Vietnam. 900? 900. <sighs> and he was an outstanding 1-0 with RT Louisiana. Sure. With that idiot badger. And um, uh, so he and I were chatting, and he said, and he, he wrote, in my opinion, the outstanding novel. You've written some great nonfiction, so it's uh, John Oh, The Plattery. Dying Place is classic. The Dying Place is just classic. My Absolutely. wife's read it. She loves the book. And um, uh, so he, he, he said, you ran some missions with Eldon. How many missions did you do? I said, I didn't do that many. I said, maybe 10, maybe 15, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, he starts laughing. He said, the average guy did two to three. And he says, by the way, you're the only guy I know who's not a sergeant major or 100% disabled. Everyone else was a sergeant major. I said, I was never a sergeant major. So right. Okay, that, let's throw that one out. I was yeah. a shrapnel connector exactly. like Tilt. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dave's, Dave's uh, such a good guy. He, uh, as you know, gave the eulogy at Eldon's funeral. Oh, yeah. And did a wonderful job, even though he could barely hold it together. Sure. He did, and then... Um this this past year, we acknowledged those missing in action, which took a lot of work again. And this is under your tenure. Well, this we is pulled under, it off with a good team effort. There, Mike Tower did it um, absolutely uh, with Bonnie Cooper again, and they'd been planning it since '19, and it it was supposed to go forward on in '20, but COVID canceled our live participation at SOA at the store, and. Uh, the numbers by age and by COVID uh, are, are dramatically reduced. Uh, we, we'd hoped to have a bigger crowd, but it was still a very successful event. Oh, yeah. Very successful. And, and uh, as you know, Mike Taylor, uh, not only at the end of our show, received uh, our highest award, the Jim Butler Founders Award, but a few days later at the SFA convention that a lot of us attended, he received the SFA's higher, highest award. The St. Philip Neary gold medal, uh, which is the, the gold highest, medal, yeah, the gold medal. So he he picked up both of the the Olympic gold medals within with, within a week. Uh, I had the opportunity and the high honor of giving him his, and uh, we kept it under wrap. There's only two people besides the board who knew about it. One was his wife, and the other was Diane Butler, Jim's widow. Yeah, and I asked both of them to come up to the, the dais to uh, to give it to him. So there's a very nice picture of, of uh, Mike surrounded by his wife and Diane Butler. It's so. a great photo. And then just for the record for our listeners, Jim Butler was a uh, officer, recon. Um, there's a couple of outstanding stories I'm working on now with his daughter to try to get them for the record at some point. But he right. ran recon at CCN. We were together there during my second tour. And then he and a few others put together the very early first version of the Special Operations yep. Association was 001 number. Yeah, and, 001. Uh, Mike Taylor was a part of that. Larry Trimble was a part of that. That's right. Um, Dave Maurer. Dave Maurer was a part of that up at, out of Fort Devens uh, when they still had uh, some troops up there. So, yeah, it was very interesting getting to know uh, Jim's family. attended the funeral at Arlington. They had a very nice celebration of life in Carmel before that, which right. we had a bunch of guys at. And uh, then we... Uh, uh, the SFCT helped us host a reception at the O Club for the Butler family at the at the uh, interment, and then we hosted them at at SOAR where they got to meet a lot of uh, Jim's mates and uh, admirers. Indeed, yes. <laughs> that's uh, a, a part of our unique history there, and it's really uh, I don't know I'm biased. So we should any um, any other. Th- after I forgot your law school, so you graduate from law school, and then what happens from there? You begin, I, you get became, into litigation yeah. before you became where you're serving now. Yeah, I was a trial lawyer for many years, and um, what's your specialty? 
I defended uh, people who were sued for medical malpractice or for products liability or automobile accidents, construction cases. And about 25 years ago, some judges and lawyers asked me to start mediating cases, try to settle cases rather than fight them. <laughs> and um, that's, that's uh, the mediation process, not because of me, but because of many smarter people than me, has sort of taken over from the civil jury trial of resolving civil disputes. So that 99% of cases are solved by mediation or out of court. And I'm and you avoid all that time in court that ca civil cases can go for months. It, it can go for years. And, but the, the, the biggest piece is the people themselves participate in their own resolution rather than having a, a jury and a judge and, and uh, 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 tell them what their, their outcome is. And so it's, it's a very satisfying uh, second career for me. I'm very happy with it. And, uh, um, as long as I keep uh, getting calls from lawyers and judges, I'll, and I still have my health, I'll do it. And you're still doing it. You're working I, hard today. Everybody else is retired, but Doug's uh, churning on. I, I, I like working. <laughs> Indeed. More fun that way. <laughs> so uh, we're heading down the road here to near the end. Um, any reflection, thoughts about your time either in SOG before and I love the story about how you served in SF, and then I forgot you even turned it down. They said, "We'll give it to you." He said, "No, fuck off." <laughs> in your in your succinct fashion, we still we still had a bit of an attitude then, didn't we? We did. Yes, and uh, yours was more, a little bit more accentuated than mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm 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 terrifically glad that I was able to serve with Zog. What a great bunch of guys! Uh, very interesting people, uh, very outside the box people, willing to do different things but all concentrating on the same two missions, to accomplish the mission and to, and to look to your left and look to your right and take care of your buddy. So Indeed. It was, it, was, it was a wonderful experience. Indeed. Well, on that note, <clears throat> we'll come to a close here, and uh, we want to again thank Jocko Willink Productions for uh, making this uh, solid cast possible, and we also want to thank all the military that is protecting our country today. First responders, Border Patrol, other agencies that are serving our country. We also want to thank the men and the women who are online today and for those that um, have served in the past. And last but not least, we want to remember and salute the men who are not here today. We thank Jocko for that. Amen. Uh, amen, Airborne. Well, Carrie, welcome to the show, and uh, a little postscript here for uh, SOGCast number 19, Doug Godshaw. I mean, the classic, humble soldier. What a pain in the ass to interview, I gotta tell you that, but what a great guy, and his stories. Mm -hmm. So you're the outsider looking into this. Yeah, yeah, again, with the the humility here, um, like you say, it's the, the hardest part about some of these conversations is, is these guys just you got to pry it out of them, you know, but uh, just more amazing stories from uh, a, another amazing guy on the ground with SOG. Just yeah. really impressive stuff. And I ran these missions with Eldon Bargewell. Mm -hmm. My God, who, just for our listeners, Eldon uh, was E4 with us mm -hmm. at Fubai in 1968 with Doug at Mylock, which was just a complete shithole yeah. there. And they ran missions out of there. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, and Eldon was in for 40 years. Wow. And he retired as a two-star, um, ran most of his life dedicated to spec ops, all the way through his career, started as enlisted,
became a, a, an officer mm. a, and a gentleman on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Went through the ranks and uh, with the Delta Force was there for years. Uh-huh. Started out as a squad member, became the squad leader, platoon leader, and then the commander for Delta Force for many years. Yeah. His two boys went through it. Gosh. And he, you know, um, Doug was saying he ran 13 missions with Eldon. So, and that was just with his little time with Eldon. How many missions did Eldon run? Oh, I know. I mean, can can you imagine? (laughs) Right. We just have to say that uh, on his second tour of duty, Eldon Barswell earned the Distinguished Service Cross. Wow during a major firefight with the NVA, including him getting shot in the face. Oh my gosh. And as the team was getting onto the helicopter, he was the last man on and stood there with his RPD firing at the enemy to make sure the team could get on and get extracted. Now, we contrast that with the other story that we heard about the officer being the first one off the yeah, a uh, major, off the helo. Major a major, Moore. Yeah. major Moore being the first one off the helo you know rtb right yes. and that's uh that's the contrast especially from a troop oh, you know yeah. seeing the leader who is the first one on the bird out and the first one stepping off versus the last guy putting down cover fire to make sure the team is safe and secure on the bird and getting out of there yeah and the other thing i you know in talking to doug the uh i've heard these different stories at different times but never together yeah and so he's savvy enough here I am, he gets kicked out of Special Forces training, <laughs> but I still want to go to NAM. He yeah. gets to NAM, he want to become SF, sure! Yeah. <laughs> and he comes in, and uh, Mr. Modesty, who knows how many missions, because mm. knowing him, he never wrote anything down. Yeah. He yeah. survived August 23rd. Again, I think the critical point was, thank God he was drunk. Yeah. Because he and John Peters were both there, they both exited and went their separate ways. Mm-hmm. Had, they, had they gone out like Bill Brick, because they had machine gunners set up mm-hmm. that just as people came out, like unfortunately, uh, Brick and the 15 others that were just gunned down or killed in their beds with the uh, satchel charges. Oh, God. That's such a tragic uh, day and event in, in SOG history. And um, every time we, we hear about it from one of these gentlemen, it, it, it just, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine that, that kind of, uh, you know, having the, the one place that's semi-secure you know that you can actually have a drink and, and hang sure. out and, and hang with your buddies, uh, and that being that that place, that haven being violated and, oh, yeah. and overrun. You know, it's just, it it's gut wrenching a little bit. But um, but yeah, Doug, um, you know, did did what he thought was right in the moment, and oh, he did. They he survived. Survived. It. survived. You right. know, and of course, we talked about John Walton again a little bit. Mm-hmm. On that night, he and Rod Podlaski were in a hooch. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they've been drinking or not, but they hear the explosions and they go, We got to get out of here. Yeah. And so they're debating, trying to put their shoes on. Yeah. And they couldn't get out the door. And um, fortunately, they didn't. They're, while they're doing a debate, an NVA tried to open up the door, but the door had an extra strong spring on it. Mm-hmm. So if you open the door, it slams shut really hard. Mm-hmm. Well, the NVA opened the door with the throw the satchel charge in. The door closed. The satchel charge landed and blew away the steps. Gosh. So when John finally – John had his shoes on. He waited for Paul Lasky to get his act together. Mm-hmm. So Polish pride in him go running out the door. There's no steps. Mm-hmm. They both fell down as the machine gunner opened up. Oh, my God. And the machine gunner was <laughs> shooting where he anticipated they would be coming down the steps. But instead they fell – 
And they fell beneath the fire from the machine gun, from the enemy fire. Because of that satchel charge blowing away the yeah. steps. Wow. Yeah, that's John Walton. There, there was a that's an and Rod Podlaski. Incredible, incredible. Um, there, there was one thing I thought I caught when Doug was talking about that night, and I wanted to run it past you and make sure I got it correct. Um, he said that the NBA had planted um, machine guns in the Indige living quarters. Did he? Did I hear that correctly? That's what he said. As, as and, almost a psyops type of. Um, attack to maybe try to make the Americans suspicious of the Indige? Does that sound right? Um, I think, no, I think it was with there to kill the Indige. I see. Yeah. Got it. And uh, whether it got into the hooch or not, mm-hmm. we know, as he said, I forgot the number of Indige that we had lost that night or were wounded. I don't even know if he could recall either. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure if, if there if there was, if that was recorded um, sure. in any way, but... Just a, again, just a massive loss and a, a tragic, you know, tragic event in in SOG history. Yeah, and uh, um, had not Larry Trimble been up on the mountain, yeah, there would have been. been much higher casualties. He was taking out those mortar positions, right? Yes. Yeah, and just the night, you know, I was just glad I was at Fubai. That was a good one to miss. Yeah, gosh, <laughs> I can't imagine. So getting back to Doug, mm-hmm. um, and you know, Eldon recalled him. And he says, come on, go to the reunion. Mm-hmm. He showed up and I said, hey, we need somebody for the board of directors. And he was on the board uh, for at least two tours of duty. Mm-hmm. And then he just ran for president. And he's president for the next three years. Fantastic. And they pulled off these events uh, with the help of uh, Mike Taylor and the board of directors mm-hmm. just to keep that going, you know. Yeah. So it's amazing service to our guys. And thank goodness for that reunion and that organization uh, bringing you gentlemen together and oh yeah, giving us the opportunity to, to hang with these guys. Indeed. Incredible. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll close for tonight. And again, uh, as always, we thank Jocko Willink Productions for making all this happen. Thank him for sending you down here for these for these last recordings. Yes, sir. And uh, we look forward to doing a SOGCast number 20 sometime in the near future. In the meantime, as always, we thank all of our uh, service members, the, uh, the uh, first responders, the Border Patrol that help our country, and, of course, the men and women who could not be here today. And we sign off on that final salute to all of our MIAs of which there are 1,584 today in Southeast Asia from the Vietnam War, and uh, of which we have 50 Green Berets from the Sikh War. So we'll end on that final salute. Airborne. All the way. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.